this morning is found in 2 Kings chapter 7 as our all right I need a handheld I guess our scripture is found in 2 Kings chapter 7 let me let me brag on y'all just a minute y'all sound good this morning that's uh, that worship set was so good because I you, you go to a lot of churches and you'll hear one or two voices I'm sitting here singing on this front, front pew, second pew this morning, and, and I don't, my voice is drowned out by your voices, and that's a good thing. But it was wonderful to hear you sing and worship the way that you do. And to sing whatever we, what, whatever we decide to have that week you sing, that, that, um, that first song that we sang is over 500 years old. Martin Luther wrote that during uh, the time of the Reformation. Now, I've made, I've, I've told y'all before, there's music I like, there's music I don't like. You'd be surprised, that's the kind of music I like. Uh, it's stuff that was written three to five hundred years ago, that's what, that's what I like. If, if we sang what I wanted to sing every week, we'd, we, we'd be going way back in time. So be glad that we don't sing what I want to sing every week. But every now and then I ask Darren to sing one of those old hymns, and uh, it's wonderful. But no matter what we sing, you sing and you lift your voice to Jesus. And what a testimony that is about your heart and about your life and, and, and living with him and living for him. 2 Kings chapter 7. Chad, if you will, we're going to begin reading in verse number 3. If you would, stand in honor of the reading of God's word with me this morning. The scriptures say this, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots, and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when the, these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you, God, that we have the great privilege of hearing your words spoken and to read scripture that you have given to us. Father, may there be something here in, each, uh, in what we say today that would give us something this week to, to grow as a Christian or to contemplate or to look upon and, and know Jesus better. We ask all these things in his precious name. Amen. Charles Dickens wrote a great book called A Tale of Two Cities. In the first line, 
of that book that he wrote, he said it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. He was describing England there in the 1800s or 1700s, and he, he used that analogy. Some were doing well, some were doing, couldn't have been doing worse. As we look at these scriptures here this morning, if there was a heading that could go above all of it, it would say these are the worst of times. What we're reading here in, in 2 Kings is a follow-on of chapter 6. If you look back, if you're a Bible reader and you look back at chapter 6, you'll see and you'll remember that the king of Syria had sieged Samaria. And he had surrounded Samaria and he had cut off everything that could flow there. And because of that, there is one of the worst famines that is recorded in all of the scriptures. Everyone who was there was in great need. The scriptures tell us in chapter number 6 that the king of Israel had gone out to observe what was going on in, uh, around him. And as he went about looking and, and finding out, he realized that uh, through the story here of a woman who had come to him, that the people had resorted to a form of cannibalism. They were eating their own children. That's how bad the famine was. And so we pick, this scriptures, uh, pick the scriptures up here in chapter number 7. In the first couple of verses, Elisha has told the king that the very following day, he sends, he's sending a message to the king that the very following day, this great inflation and this great famine and all of the hardship that they had been going through was going to end. And now we pick up in verse number 3 here, and we see four men who have to make a decision for survival. They have to survive one way or the other, and they have to make a decision about it. Now, I, I, I wanted to find a great illustration here to go along with this point about survival. I looked at all kind of different uh, people who'd, who'd, who'd been through great uh, deals of survival. I looked at people who'd been shipwrecked and lost at sea for 40 or, uh, days or more. I looked at people who'd been in plane crashes and who'd had to uh, live uh, 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 without any contact with anyone. I, I looked at all these survival stories, and here's what I found out. None of them can compare to my story of surviving as a child in the late 60s and 70s. Have any of you grow up during those time periods before? When I became a parent, everything was about putting these children in bubble wrap and making sure they didn't get hurt. Uh, when I became a parent, everybody told me, you've got to have these plug covers. You can't let them stick their fingers in the plugs. You've got to have these latches on the cabinets. Make sure that they can't open these cabinets and, and something fall out on them. You can't leave the hospital without the proper car seat. It's got to be the right one. And, and you, you can't do all these things that you've got to do to take care of the children. And I got to thinking, man, where was all this stuff when I was a boy? There were no plug covers. How did I survive without a plug cover? I probably saw that and thought, well, you could stick a fork in that. That'd be wonderful. How, how did I survive without all of these things uh, that we, I, I drank out of a hose pipe. They tell me now, don't drink out of a hose. Don't let your children drink out of a hose pipe. How did I survive? Not only did we not have a car seat, when I was an infant, 
if I went somewhere with my parents in a car, my mother either held me in, my, in her arms or they probably set me on the seat beside them and wrapped in a, in a nice tight blanket. I was a missile waiting to happen there in that car. How did I survive? We didn't, not only did we not have a car seat uh, back then, we had a 1963 Chevy Impala two-door. The back seat was as big as a twin mattress. When we went on a trip somewhere, I bet I did 100 laps back and forth running across on the seat. If there were seat belts, my dad took them out so I wouldn't trip over them. So we survived. The, the children now have no idea what it's like. When, when they're born, we, put them, we, we start wrapping them in bubble wrap and protecting them from everything. So I survived, and that's, that's my great tale of survival. No, no story I read compared to it. But here we find in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we find four unlikely figures to focus on. These men are lepers. They have the disease of leprosy. Now, there are a lot of things that go along with leprosy, but the main thing is this. It is highly contagious, and it begins to hit your fingers and your toes and begins to eat and rot your flesh all the way until you have just nothing but numb. And under the law of Moses, if someone has leprosy, they are to be put outside of the city. This, it's like they are being punished for having this disease. They are put outside of the city. They are declared unclean. And they either live alone outside of the city or they live in groups of people who have leprosy and leper colonies. And if anyone approached them under the law of Moses, that person who approached them, who got close to them, was also considered to be unclean. And they were put out of the city. Now, these people who were lepers depended on other people for handouts. Someone would probably bring food to a certain point and leave it, and that's the only means of survival that these men have. Now, the difference here in this story with these lepers are this. There is no food. Everyone that they know is also starving because of the siege of, of Samaria. And so no one is able to bring them any food because everyone else is starving also. So these lepers are not only dying, they, they are the living dead, but they're starving and they have absolutely no hope. The only thing that they have to do to occupy their time is to sit and wait to die. Now, reminds me of people today who are unaware of their spiritual condition. group of people who are in the same situation, but not physically, but spiritually. Because a person lost in their sins, a person who is without the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, is in a very similar circumstance. Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and toward the end of that, after he has uh, talked to him about eternal life, and, and a new birth, and, and a new life, he says these words in verse number 18. He says, whoever believes in it, he's talking about Jesus, talking about himself. He said, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is saying that if you are in life, if you are physically alive, 
and you have not recognized Jesus as the only Son of God and the only way for forgiveness of your sins, then you are living condemned. Now, I was living in this state. It was not the number of my sins. It was not the depth of my sins. It was not the degree of my sins. It was not because I lived in such a way that publicly you could see my sin and know that I was a sinner. I was in need of a Savior because I was born with what? I was born with a sinful nature. I was born because of the fall of Adam in, in, the, in the Garden of Eden. I was condemned with a sinful nature at birth. And so I find that I was needing a Savior even if I denied it. Just as leprosy was eating these four men alive physically, sin was eating me away spiritually. And here's what was the worst part about it. Indecision is a state of death. My not making a decision, my not making a move was a state of death. It didn't matter that I was just going along and, and, and I didn't think my life was affecting anyone else or impacting anyone else but me. My indecision was a condemnation of death on my own life. Now, I knew this because I had heard the scriptures preached and taught, and I knew that in my own life. But yet, I, did, I would not move toward Jesus. It's like this. If I go to a doctor tomorrow morning, and then that doctor examines me, and he looks at me in the eye, and he says, Michael, you are one box of uh, Popeye's fried chicken away from a massive heart attack. Or you're one gravy biscuit away from a massive heart attack. I've heard his word, I've heard his warning, but if I leave there and I go through the drive-thru at Popeye's and I say I want the number three combo spicy, and I haven't heeded his warning, doesn't matter, his proclamation still holds, it doesn't matter that my indecision to, to, to listen to him is bringing me death. The scriptures tell me that I have to, to make a decision. I had a friend who went to a doctor one time, and the doctor told him two things. Number one, start walking, and number two, stop smoking. So my friend told me that that's what the doctor had told him, and so I'm coming out of the Civic Center one day there in front of Fagan's Park, and I see my friend, and he's walking, and he's finishing his second lap, and when he finishes his second lap, he sits down on a bench and smokes a cigarette. Then I'm thinking maybe my friend thought that the doctor said walk and stop every now and then and smoke. But the doctor said walk and stop smoking. My friend didn't heed the doctor's warning and it cost him his life. Indecision is a state of death, is a state of death. We have the scriptures tell me that I have to decide. Hebrews 9.27 says this very plainly. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this is the judgment. I can ignore it. I can say it doesn't apply to me, but guess what? It's still going to happen. Someday I'm going to die, and if I die apart from forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, then I'm going to die and face the wrath and judgment of God Almighty. So without God's intervention, these four lepers are going to die. They're going to die if they stay at the gates of the city, and they're going, they, they are going to die if they move into the camp of the Syrians. 
Either way, they're facing death. And if they don't decide, they're still going to face it. But one leper makes a decision. And he says these words, Why are we sitting here until we die? It's a spiritual decision that we have to make. God is asking us this morning, why, if you are lost in your sins, you don't know forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ, he's asking, why are you waiting? Why are you trusting in your own works, in your own power, or your own wisdom? These lepers make a decision for survival, and then they make a decision to surrender. In the last part of chapter, in verse number 4, they say these words. They say, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. We're going to die either way. So why don't we take this opportunity, and if we surrender, maybe we can die a different death. So there's a small hope in them that they might go there to the camp of the Syrians and they might have mercy on them and at least give them something to eat before they die. And so they make a decision to surrender and now we see that they are going to be saved because of their decision to surrender. Oh, how I wrestled with surrendering my life to Jesus. I knew that I needed to surrender to Jesus. I knew that I had to, to give my life to him. But man, how I wrestled with it. Because here's what we think about. We think about when we, we begin to think about surrendering anything to anyone, what do we think about? We think about what we're going to give up. We think about the risk associated with surrendering. Because what do we know through history? We're taught that to the victor goes what? To the victor goes the spoils. And so I'm thinking, if I surrender to God, I have to give away everything I have to Him. I had to give up my life. I had to give up my ambitions. I had to give up my dreams. I had to give all those things to Him. Well, guess what? In God's system of surrender, God gives the spoils to us. We don't surrender the spoils to Him. God gives the spoils to us. God gives us great reward in surrendering. You see, my only risk was myself. Galatians 2.20 says this. says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now look at these words real careful as Paul speaks them. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What Paul is saying here was there was a transfer of identity when I came to Christ. When I came to Christ, I was crucified with him. It was, he took my place there on a cross. He went there in my place. And Paul says, it's no longer I who are, am living, but it's Christ who came into me and now who lives in me. What he's saying there is we transferred identities. I now bear the image of Christ. He says, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says Jesus surrendered himself for me on a cross at Calvary, and in return, it is my obligation to surrender my sin to him for forgiveness. Now, the only thing I had to give up was me. 
Have you ever heard people make this statement about somebody who's, who's lost? Boy, if they would only come to Jesus, how the church could use them. They've got this talent and that talent. They can sing, they can play, they can teach, they can do all these things. You know what God is looking at? God's not looking at my... He, when he's looking at us in our sins, he's not looking at the talent that we possess or what we might can bring to him. He's looking at us, and as we stand for, before him, as Isaiah sa said, our sins, our, our lives are as filthy rags. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. God sees us in our very depth of sin. He sees the hopelessness in our nature. He sees all those things, and the only thing that I had to give God was my sin. It's like this. All that I had to give him was the rottenness, the evil, the filth, and the stink of my life. That's all I had to offer God. It would be like this. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to take all of your garbage for the whole week. And I want you to keep it. I want you to put it all together. Maybe you live in Piedmont and you've got one of those big blue cans. Fill that can up to the overflowing. And I want it to be the worst garbage you have, the stinkingest, smelliest garbage that you can find. And I want you to take that stinky, smelly garbage can, and I want you to roll it into the nicest, most fanciest jewelry store that you can find. And I want you to go in, and I want you to push that nasty, stinking uh, uh, garbage can, and I want you to leave it there in front of that nice counter, and when they ask you, what in the world are you doing, I want you to tell them this. I'm bringing you my worst garbage, and I want you to give me your richest jewels. How far do you think you're going to get? They're not, only coming, they're not only coming in a police car. They're coming with, a, with one of those padded vans and a net. But isn't that what happened at Salvation? Isn't that what happened when we gave our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that we took the worst of ourselves? We took the nastiest of ourselves. We took the, the most vile of ourselves, and we took it to God, and we gave it to him, and what did he give us in return? He gave us his righteousness and the riches of heaven. The only thing I had to give up was my sinful nature. The only thing I had to gain was eternal life. I gained eternity. Romans 6, 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I gave my sin to him, and he gave me a new life. It is when I was actually born. It is when I became alive in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus encountered a leper one time himself. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Matthew chapter 8. I don't hear as many pages flip as I used to, and it used to bother me, but now I realize most of you are moving on your phone or, or something to, to find the scriptures that we're looking at. But Jesus encounters a leper one day. Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's coming down from the mountain, and he immediately encounters a man with leprosy. The scriptures say this, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus went against the social norm and he physically touched this man who was a leper. He physically healed him there on the spot and took him from a position of being unclean to being able to go into the temple now and to give worship and to be declared as being clean. See, Jesus didn't have to touch me physically. Jesus touched me spiritually, and he cleansed my soul, and he gave me a new life. Just as he touched this man here at the foot of the mountain. And here's the promise that he gave me. He said he was going to save my soul. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's the believing in my heart and the professing with my mouth. It is my surrendering to Jesus that made the difference in my life. And now we see their final decision. They decide to share. Look at verse number 9. Uh, back up, I'm sorry. Look at verse number 6. They, they, they went in at twilight. They went in at daybreak to the camp of the Syrians. And when they came to the edge of the camp, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. When these lepers made that decision to move and they made that decision to surrender, they go into the camp, and guess what? The camp is empty. There's no one there. God had confounded the army of the Syrians, and he had already defeated them. They were already defeated. I watched a basketball game this past week. I watched Duke go to Louisville and play basketball. And at one point in that game, Duke was losing by 23 points. And it looked hopeless. With 16 minutes left, Duke was being beaten by 17 points. And there in the huddle, Coach Krzyzewski got that team together, and he looked at them and he said, we didn't come here to lose. I didn't put together a team of losers. Go win. And guess what? They came back from 23 points and won the game. God did not call us to lose. God did not call us to lose. God calls us to salvation. And God calls us to surrender to Him. And God says, when I call you, I'm not calling you to lose. I'm calling you to live in victory over sin and over death. 
God had miraculously confounded the enemy here, and they fled, and they left everything behind. Jesus Christ won my victory at a cross at Calvary. Paul says these words in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This for certain. There's one thing for certain in this life. Someday I'm going to die. Someday I'm going to face death. And because of what Jesus has done at the cross of Calvary, when I face death, death doesn't worry me. Death doesn't bother me. I'm not afraid of death. Death may take me suddenly. Death may take me in a prolonged illness. But either way, Jesus has already won my victory over death. I will not face the sting of death that other people may face because my soul is secure in the hands of Jesus Christ. And I know that he bought my eternity there on the cross. Our victory was won not through any works that we have done, not through our joining a church or any other thing. Our victory was won by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. I will not be standing on a street of gold someday telling people that I am here because of anything that I did. Not because I went on mission trips or not because I taught Sunday school. Not because I was a minister. I will tell people I am here because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for my sins. Our victory has been won there. Now you think about these lepers, these four men. They're pitiful. Some of them are missing arms up to their elbow. A couple of them are probably missing legs up to their knee. They're probably on crutches. And they are weak. They are, the, they are the least of the world. And on top of that, they're starving to death. All that they have in this life is each other. And so probably what they have to do is they probably have to take turns picking each other up and holding on to each other and they march toward what they think is a certain death. But they know that if they don't move, they're going to die anyway. These are the least in all the world. If you gave them 1,000 years, there was no way that they could have, not only could they have not found their next meal, let alone all of the riches that they're coming into. Guess what? Apart from Jesus Christ, I'm more helpless in my sins than these four men are in their physical condition. Apart from Jesus Christ, I am dying of a leprosy of my soul and wasting away in my sins. There is no way that I could obtain the riches of eternal life in heaven through anything that I could do. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Look at what these lepers find, beginning in verse number 9. Or, or, um, in verse number 8, it says, When they came to the edge of the camp, they went into the tent, and they ate and they drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, 
and carried off things from it and went and hid them. They found more riches than what they could ever imagine, and they're so overwhelmed, they want to get it and take it and put it somewhere before anyone can find out. These lepers find an abundant life inside the city. They find food and silver and gold. One day Jesus came into my life, and in John 10, 10, he said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. I have come so that you can have it to the fullest, not with silver and gold or, or riches or any material things of this earth, but through peace with God, through joy with Jesus, and through fellowship with God's people. Those are the things that God has given me and given to me in an overabundance in this world. But now look at what they realize as we close. In verse number 9, they say these words to one another. We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. The lepers come into this great wealth that they didn't earn. All of these possessions that don't belong to them but yet are there for the taking. And they're getting everything that they can. And suddenly they come to the realization. You know what? There were people inside that city who used to come and bring us food. There are people inside that city who used to come and give us clothing and, 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 and the things that we needed physically to survive. If we don't go and tell those people what God has blessed us with, then we're in sin ourselves. Here's what I want you to understand, Christian. God has blessed you with the riches of eternal life. God has blessed you with the abundance of hope and joy and fellowship with Him and fellowship with His people. God has forgiven you of a multitude of sins. He has taken your sinful nature and He has given you His righteousness in His place. Why in the world have you not told somebody about that? Why in the world would you miss an opportunity to tell someone else about what God has done for you? Darren uh, shared with me just uh, last week about going into O'Reilly Auto Parts one day and just striking up a conversation with a guy who worked there, and I believe before it was there or either in a junkyard, you led the man to Christ just because you took the time to strike up a conversation with him and find out where he was spiritually. You'll have an opportunity this week to tell somebody. You'll have an opportunity this week to share with somebody. What will you do with that opportunity that God has given you? We live in a world that is filled with, this, with, with um, if we could see inside the souls of people, we'd see that spiritually... They are dying of leprosy. They may look, and, and everything may look great in their lives, but on the inside, because of their unforgiveness, they're dying. They're the living dead walking without Christ. I've done what I, what I have done what God has required of me this morning in sharing 
what God has laid on my heart through my reading of the scriptures, my daily reading, and him pointing this out to me, I've done what I'm supposed to do. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as you're saying, if you have not been forgiven of your sins, the day of decision is yours. The scriptures tell us plainly, now is, today is the day of salvation. I sat in pews for many years listening to the devil tell me, you're just a kid, you don't have to worry about that. You've got a long life ahead of you. That's a lie. I listened to the devil tell me, you're not as bad as the, some of the people that go to church. Don't worry about it, you're, you're okay. It was a lie. The devil would whisper in my ear and say, don't worry, you've got plenty of time. Don't worry about that. Live. How, they just want to take away your right to live how you want to live and do what you want to do. Don't do it. It was a lie. I have more life at this moment than I've ever had at any other time because of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you this morning, it's as simple as Romans 10, 9 and 10 said, believing in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that He went and died in your place for your sins and that He stands ready to forgive you of those sins. And that through that you can know eternal life. All you have to give up is your the sin that you've committed, and ask forgiveness. What a deal. What an exchange. Father, as we pray, as we come to the concluding of this time of your word, Father, thank you for speaking into our hearts today. I pray this morning that if there are any here this morning who, who don't know Christ through the forgiveness of sins, I pray, dear Lord, that you would emphasize that through your Holy Spirit that you would begin to speak to them even now and point them to Jesus. Father, don't let anything keep us. Father, if there are those who are here this morning who need to follow you in believer's baptism, if there are those this morning who know that they've been uh, attending church here and God is leading them to be a member here, they know that they are a Christian Father, whatever needs to be done this morning, I pray that you would work in the hearts and, and give us the boldness to make decisions. Father, we ask these things and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?